0: Lord, you have broken our chains of sin. You have called us your child. Lord, you've brought us close when we just tried to run far from you. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the freedom. Thank you for a new life in Christ. We are so grateful. And Father, now as we turn our hearts towards your word, pray, Lord, that as we come, we can lay our burdens down before you. Father, that we would hear from you. Lord, that you would change us. We don't just want information. We want transformation through the power of your Spirit and the power of your Word. So, Father, do that we ask in your name. And we all pray this together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen, amen. Hey, great to see everyone. Good morning to you. So glad to have you together today. Guests, we're grateful that you're with us. We hope that you have uh, just encouraging time with us here at CVC today. Well, years ago... Uh, When My wife, Rika, and myself, when we lived in California, one uh, summer, we threw our then five-year-old son, Cruz, and four-year-old daughter, Isabel, into the car, and we just drove up the Pacific Northwest for, just got on the road for a couple weeks, just threw everything in the car, just northern California into Oregon, just a little bit into Washington and back through, and during that trip, we stayed with my aunt and uncle who lived in Oregon for a few days. And while we were there, we were just hanging out with them and just visiting and having a good time. And so one morning, uh, all the girls went shopping. So my wife and my aunt and my cousins, and they took Isabel, and they just, they just went and did some shopping. And my uncle, myself, and Cruz, the boys, we were, we were hanging out at the house. And so my uncle wanted to work on his brakes on his car, so we were out in the driveway working on the brakes on his car. And Cruz just had the little scooter. just a little scooter. He was scooting around the neighborhood. And so uh, we were all doing our thing, and after a while, Rika comes back with the girls and some groceries and things, and she says, where's Cruz? I said, well, he's right there. Well, he was right there, and then it became, where is Cruz? So we started looking in the front yard, we looked in the backyard, no Cruz, we looked inside the house, no Cruz, we, I, lost my son, And if you have ever had that happen, you know it's one of the worst feelings in the world. So panic sets in, you know, you think about their welfare, you think about the danger they're in, you think about what could be happening or, you know, can't happen to them. And so we just started scouring the neighborhood. We had like a little search party that got put together, right? My aunt, my uncle, some family, a couple neighbors even jumped in and we started scouring the neighborhood. Well, that parable of the lost son, where he goes to a far distant land. Yeah, I think my son read that that morning or something because... He was on the whole other side of the housing developments, and he had just gotten on a scooter and just went, and he discovered a yard sale, and when we found him, he was just sitting there drinking lemonade at the yard sale. <laughs> Oblivious to the torment, you know, we were going through, of course. It's just one of the worst feelings to lose your kid. And now, parents, don't judge, because I know some of you have lost your kids, too. And if you haven't, I know there's been moments when you wish you had. So, <laughs> just saying. We've all, we all can relate to losing things and losing people and pets. You know, keys, remote controls, pets, you know, your wallet. Like, we've all lost stuff. But there's very few things as gripping and as urgent as when you lose a child. Or maybe for some people, having an aging adult with dementia, and sometimes they actually get lost. and there's, When you have someone that you care about and they're lost, it, the, the pain in your heart is so great. And then the joy that you experience when you find them and the relief is so great as well. And that's what we're going to be looking at today as we try to understand God's heart a little bit more. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 in your Bibles. I invite you to turn there. We're continuing in this series called Aha Moments where we're looking at parables that Jesus taught in the Gospel of Luke. Now if you're uh, new or a guest or you haven't been here, just a little bit of contrast for you, a little bit of, of, of information. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are four books in the New Testament of the Bible that capture and record the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, uh, God in the flesh, God's Son. And as we look through the Gospels, we see that Jesus is, of course, as God in the flesh, a master teacher, and he's also a master storyteller, and one of the ways he liked to teach was to teach in parables. No one else taught in parables in the New Testament. And so Jesus taught in these parables, and a parable is a story with a spiritual truth or meaning. And if you had a soft heart toward God, and God had tuned your ears to understanding, you would get the meaning of the parable. You would have an aha moment, like, oh, that's what that means. And a lot of times you could see yourself in the parable, like, oh, I'm like that person, or oh, I'm like that person. But if your heart was hard or cold to the Lord, then you didn't often have that aha moment and the parable was a mystery to you. And Jesus would often teach in parables because it really brought in the listeners. It got them to emotionally engage and and understand what uh, the Lord was talking about other than just these nebulous concepts. And so as we continue in this series, aha moments, looking at another parable that Jesus uh, teaches today, it's going to help us understand God's heart toward those who are lost. And when I say lost, the reference here is people who don't have a relationship with the Lord, people who do not have Christ as Savior, people who um, have not turned from trusting in themselves or trusting in some system or false belief system um, to trusting in the one true God and trusting in Jesus the Savior. And that's the definition of loss. And so what can we learn about the loss today as we look at these parables? Well, let's start in Luke 15. And we'll just teach and read. Um, I'll read and teach a little bit, read and teach a little bit. And we're going to make some observations in these parables. And what we're about to read, by the way, is, is really one parable, uh, but it's been broken into three sections. It's kind of like a trilogy, okay? So there's the lost sheep, there's the lost coin, and then there's the lost son. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Rick Eimers taught on the lost son. Today we're going to look at the lost sheep and the lost coin in this parable. So Luke 15, let's start with verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Let's just stop there for a minute. So what we have here is tax collectors and sinners. Now this is a reference to the class of people that would have been viewed as outcasts, would have been viewed as uh, spiritually lost by the Pharisees and scribes. Now, the Pharisees and scribes are the religious elite in the Jewish faith system. And so they're, they're really the leaders of the Jewish faith. They're responsible to care for the people, lead the people, guide the people. The problem is most of the Pharisees and scribes are very legalistic. And so their definition of caring is, make sure you follow these rules, make sure you follow these traditions. If you don't, then you are a sinner and you are an outcast. And so they were full of, as we've been talking about, self-righteousness and self-sufficiency. So these tax collectors and sinners were the classification of people that were the outcasts. Tax collectors, because most of them were Jewish men who were working for the Romans, taking taxes from their fellow Jews. So they were betrayers and traitors, and so they were viewed very low. And then the sinners could have been everything from wealthy, extravagant you know, people who were self-indulgent, all the way down to the broken, and the sick, and the destitute. And so these are the people that were coming to christ these are the people that were flocking to him what a, what a beautiful image right what a beautiful image of society's weak and broken and outcast and those who others consider dirty and rejected they're, they're coming to christ they're curious they're intrigued and we see here it says they've come to hear him because what jesus taught and how he taught it was absolutely captivating And many of those people would soon profess faith in Jesus, and they would believe in Jesus. So these people were coming to them, but the Pharisees and scribes had beef with it. And there's multiple ironies here, because they actually didn't have a problem this time with what Jesus was teaching. They had a problem with who he was hanging out with. If you were here last week, we talked about when you dine with someone, when you have a meal with someone, it's like associating yourself with them. You're identifying with them. So Jesus would hang out with these sinners and identify and associate with them, and the religious elite who thought they were dirty, couldn't even be around them, had beef with that. We love how Jesus would hang out with the sinners, yet not participate in their sin. So as we think about our relationships, you know, God's called us to, to mix it up relationally with people who don't know him, but we don't participate in the things that are, are displeasing to the Lord, but we treat them with love and compassion like, like Jesus did. The other irony here is that uh, this was supposed to be a criticism of Jesus. Look at him. He eats with those sinners and those tax collectors. It wasn't a criticism. It was actually a compliment, wasn't it? It's actually a compliment that Jesus hung out with people like this. And the other irony here is that the lost people were having beef with Jesus spending time with other lost people. They just didn't know that they were lost. And so we see all this unfolding as this parable is getting ready to kick off. So what does Jesus do in response? Well, look at verse 3. He told them a parable, right? Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so uh, his response to this criticism is, let me tell you a story. And he starts with the shepherd who loses a sheep, and then, of course, the joy that he responds when he receives that sheep, and how that associates with God's heart when a lost person gets found. He continues on, verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins... If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents and then jesus gives them another scenario of a woman who lost a silver coin loses it finds it rejoices and how that associates with god and his rejoicing which by the way i love how jesus being the master teacher uh, pulls in both men and women in his audience here he says what he's, he's talking to the man because the shepherding was obviously a, a big a role for the man what of you men if you lost a sheep okay and then he talks to the ladies which of you women if you lost a silver coin giving equal value to both equal responsibility to both and he pulls them both in and emotionally connects them to what he's trying to say well there are three observations i want us to focus on from this parable or these two sections of uh, the main parable the first is this god highly values the lost God highly values the lost. In each part of the parable, Jesus starts with something of utmost value. A, a sheep for the shepherd has great value. A coin for this woman has great value. If you were to go on to the next part, you know, a son to a father has you know, a tremendous value. So we see Jesus starting with something of value. And uh, the, the shepherd isn't in a place where he goes, man, I, had, I have 100 sheep, which was kind of the average sized flock for a lot of people at the time. I've got 100 sheep. I've lost one. That's only 1% loss. That's not bad. We'll just see if it shows up. No, he values that one sheep tremendously. The woman didn't go, man, I lost one coin. Well, I still have nine others. You know, I'll take nine if, if I can't have ten. She didn't. It shows that there was tremendous value placed on the items that were lost. And so this example reveals God's heart for the lost. And what Jesus is saying is God highly values the lost. He didn't dismiss them, unlike the Pharisees and the scribes who were dismissing the lost. They weren't good enough. They didn't make the religious cut. They were too dirty. And so Jesus is really honing in. Everyone has value. Everyone has worth. You are valuable. And I just want to take a minute to to just camp out here for a second because I think as we grow in Christ and walk in Christ, we forget And maybe you've forgotten just how much God values you. And when you read through this passage, you have to understand what God is saying in between the lines. He's saying he loves you and you and you. And he values you and you're precious to him, and you're valuable to him. Which means, when you look at this text, it means that if you were lost, God's going to come find you. Why? Because you're valuable to him. And he loves you, and he cares for you, and he wants you. Jesus didn't die on the cross just to display some... He did it because he wants you to be with him for eternity. He wants you. He's bringing you close. He loves you. You have value to him. And then when you think about the contrast of what's happening here, this lost sheep, did the lost sheep lose value while he was lost? No. It's like, oh, that one that's gone, okay, he's half price. No, that sheep still had the same value. You have the same value whether you're lost or found. And so if you're lost today, you don't know Christ, you still have tremendous value. The lost coin, did that coin have less value because it was lost? No, it wasn't like, oh, that's a silver piece, now it's a bronze. No, it still had the same value. And so you have tremendous value. The Lord loves you. He wants you. He would hunt for you if you were the only person he's gonna come after you. Why? Because he values you. Please never lose sight of how much God loves you, wants you, values you. We live in a world that, that masterfully tries to tell you you're worthless. You've, some of you have probably heard those words from people before. Some of you have been hurt by those words. You've probably had a family member or someone you work with or someone in your life that basically tried to tell you that you're worthless. Well, you need to listen to God's voice, not theirs. And some of you sometimes tell yourself that you're worthless. That's a lie. That's not... God's voice. When you come to him, you are his beloved child. He loves you. He values you. You're priceless. Are you guys hearing me? Are you hearing me? Yes. Which means also that when you're lost, you have that value. When you're found, you have that value. And your family members, your friends, the people you care about, God loves them too. And they have tremendous value to him. It's not like God loves church people and the rest of them out there are like, oh, we'll see. you know, it's like, no. He loves and values his creation, his people. And so when you look at this parable and you look at all this here, it's very clear that God places high value on the lost but on all people. You know, what's sad is, and this might be true of some of you, or if you're watching online, this might be true of some of you, some of you felt like you've messed up so much. You've just done so many things wrong. You feel like you just keep disappointing God. So what you do is you reject God because you think he's going to reject you. You try to strike first. He's not going to want me, so you reject him. Hear me today. He loves you. He wants you. Don't reject him. God puts high value on the loss, And because we know the Lord and love the Lord, so should we. So the first thing that jumps off all these parables, he's using examples of value. God highly values the lost. Secondly, we see that God relentlessly seeks the lost. He doesn't kind of seek the lost. He relentlessly seeks the lost. I love the imagery that Jesus uses here of this shepherd going to find a lost sheep. Uh, this would happen in one of a couple ways. One, during the time of looking at the sheep, they would notice one is missing. Or sometimes at the end of the day or during the day, they would bring him into the fold, and when they would bring him, they would do a head count. And if they did a head count, one was missing, it was time to go get that sheep. Why? Because the sheep was valuable to them. And so you have a shepherd that could walk miles and miles and miles. He would be gone hours. He could be gone days looking for this little cotton ball with legs that wandered off, right? And he, he could go across pastures and, you know, fields, rocks, mountains. Like when you look at some of the terrain... That shepherds have in the Middle East, it's not easy terrain. And that, that sheep could be hiding in a cave somewhere, and you, you just really have to look for it. And that shepherd would be faithful to relentlessly look for that sheep until he either found the sheep or he found the remains of the sheep. And some bear or lion had lunch, right? And so they would relentlessly seek after that sheep. And when they found it, they would take that sheep and they would put it on its shoulders and carry it back. It doesn't matter how many miles it was, they would carry that sheep back to the fold. A couple reasons for that. One, it's quicker to carry them than to just kind of get the thing to go along. Two, probably a little bit of like, oh, you're not ever going to run away again, buddy. You know, a little containment going on here. But here's one of the main reasons. That sheep exerted a lot of energy to wander off it's going to require a lot of energy to get it back to the fold if it's driven back to the fold. And once at the fold, you know, they might start moving again with the flock. If it's tired, it won't be able to keep up. So what happens is the shepherd bears the burden on himself on behalf of the sheep. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? The shepherd places the burden on himself on behalf of that sheep. And brings him back. He relentlessly seeks after that sheep. And then Jesus uses this other imagery of this woman who's lost a silver coin. This is a, this is a valuable item, right? And so she lights a lamp and she searches her house for it. Well, what's up with the lamp? <laughs> what's well, the equivalent of us turning our lights on? But you have to remember, most homes during this time were one-room, one-room homes with no windows dirt floors or maybe rock if they really went out of the way. They might have put some rock down. Okay, And so if a little silver coin fell down into the dirt or into the rocks, have fun finding that thing. And so they would light that little oil lamp and they would scour the house and they would use a broom looking and they would sweep through the debris. Sweep and scan, sweep and scan, sweep and scan hoping that maybe a little reflection off the silver would would glint or maybe the sound of the coin hitting a rock, something that woman would sweep her home until she found that precious item what an image of relentless searching that jesus is using here and it's a great reminder that when the lord comes after us when he relentlessly seeks after us that the light of the holy spirit will illuminate things so that we can see right and then the good news of the gospel that in spite of our sinfulness god loves us came, died on the cross, and rose from the grave so that we could have a relationship with him and be restored back into relationship with him, that, that gospel good news sweeps over you, sweeps over you, sweeps over you until you respond, until you're found. God relentlessly seeks after the lost. This is the heart of our Father. I want to go back to this shepherd imagery for a second because I think this ties into something that uh, is a prophecy from the Old Testament, 600 years before Jesus even showed up. And Jesus saying these parables in the presence of these Pharisees and scribes is not a new topic that God is bringing up to these people who are responsible to care for lost people. In fact, it's an echo of something that was said to their ancestors, to their forefathers. This, this is a family flaw that these Pharisees and scribes are carrying through as they don't care about the lost. So in Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel was an Old Testament prophet that God was speaking through, shares this. Ezekiel 34, 1 says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not, what? Sought. This is an indictment. You have not sought after my sheep. He says, with force and harshness you ruled them. So they were scattered. And because there was no shepherd, and they became food for the wild beasts, my sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains on every hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So Ezekiel's painting this picture of the people of Israel scattered because the people aren't caring for them. And this is going on and on and on. And here we see it happening again. You have all these people with great need, and the religious leaders are focused, and the religious people are focused on themselves and their rules and their systems not on the compassion for the lost. So God gives them this indictment against people who aren't doing what they were supposed to be doing in relation to his lost sheep. We can hear echoes into our own life. We know that God has commissioned us to help search for the lost. We've been invited, we've been commissioned by Jesus to be part of what's called the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all the nations. We've been deputized by the Lord. The question is, are we doing what he's asked us to do? Or are we so focused on other things that sheep are still being scattered and he could say the same thing to us? No one's going after them. Well, it's a good thing that the Lord took things into his own hand because he knows the nature of us as people. Verses 11 and 12 in Ezekiel 34 shows that God says, I'll take care of it myself. And this is where we see some of that prophetic piece. It says, The Lord God said, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. God steps in, and he seeks out his sheep personally and relentlessly. And how did you do that? By coming in person, the incarnation, Jesus, God in the flesh. And why did Jesus come? He said a lot of things, but one of the things he said that was very clear about why he came was found in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man, Jesus said, came to what? Seek and save the lost. And how did he do that? I mean, you get this image of Jesus teaching on all the hillsides and all the lost people flocking to him, the tax collectors and the sinners coming to him. And he's boldly sharing with them the love of God as he's showing compassion to them. And they're believing and having faith. And then... And then, going back to the imagery that we saw earlier, Jesus goes to the cross and dies for the sins of mankind, taking them all upon himself. That image of the shepherd taking the lamb and bearing the burden of the sheep on himself, that's Jesus. On the cross, he took your burden, your sin, my burden, my sin, and he put it on himself for our benefit so that we can be brought back to his fold. This is how God resolved the searching for his sheep, and he does it relentlessly. He goes after us relentlessly, and he seeks us out. You know that phrase, I found the Lord? Have you ever heard someone say that? Like, man, my life was a mess, but I found the Lord. No, you didn't. The Lord found you. You were doing your thing, and then all of a sudden, boom, you realized I'm not what I'm supposed to be. I'm not who I'm supposed to be. What I'm doing is not working. And all of a sudden, that's when the Lord relentlessly sought you and you came online and realized what's going on. The Lord found you. The Lord found you. It's interesting, when you look through this parable at the lost state of everyone in the parable, like if you fast forward to the lost son, the lost son knew he was lost. He initiated the lostness. Hey, dad, give me everything. I'm out. I'm going to go do me. All right? But yet he was able to have a beautiful reunion with the father when he came to a place of brokenness. The sheep, the sheep didn't like, you know, say, I'm out of here. The sheep just kind of wandered off. Oh, look at that nice little piece of green grass. I like that grass. I'm going to eat that. Ooh, look at that one, okay? And next thing you know, he's just gone. Some of you know that one. Some of you are like, that's my life story. You're just distracted, like you're trying to follow the Lord. And it's like, ooh, look at that shiny thing. And then, oh, look at this. And then, oh, look at this. And, then, oh, at this. and you kind of wander off. And then there's the coin. The coin has no idea it's even lost, It's just there. Like, I've talked to some of you over the last couple weeks. Some of you, that's exactly your story. You're going, I didn't even know, like, I was lost. I didn't know about God, Jesus, the Bible. I just, I was unaware. I just, I didn't know. And so there became a moment where Jesus, he relentlessly pursued you. Which, by the way, on that note, it goes to show you the coin was in the house when it was lost. Think about that. The, The coin was lost in the house. This is a lot like the parable of the, prodigal son, but it was the elder brother who was lost, but it was in the family. And so it just goes to show you you could go to church and sit in a building every Sunday your entire life. You can read the Bible, memorize the Bible, teach the Bible. You can go on missions trips, but if you actually have never placed your faith in Christ, you could be lost in the house. And so you just have to make sure that it's about Jesus, not spiritual behavior. That's that Pharisee. That's that scribe. It's all about the behavior. Over here it's about the belief. And so we see when we look at these parables, God highly values the lost. He uh, relentlessly pursues and seeks the lost. But also what we see when we look at these parables is this, that God joyfully celebrates the found. What happens when we're found? Look again at verses 5 through 7 in Luke 15. When Jesus is telling about the shepherd, he says when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, here we go, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This brings God joy. Which, by the way, there's two views of the 99 on this, the 99 who need no repentance. Uh, one view, and we don't know which one's accurate, you know. It doesn't really matter because the main point still the main point. Uh, one view of the 99 means that these 99 have truly come to saving faith. They, they've repented, they've come to the Lord, and so they're good that the Lord is going after the lost one because he cares more about the lost one than the comfort of the 99. But then um, the other view is that the the 99 are people who are repentant, meaning that they don't think they need to repent. They're righteous in their own eyes. They don't need to be forgiven. They don't need to repent. They're good. And so because Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and scribes, this is an illusion you know, this is a reference to them, it 's a nuance related to them. And so the lost one who truly gets back is better than the 99 who think they're in the fold. We don 't know which one it is, it doesn 't matter because the emphasis is on the lost one that the Lord is rejoicing over. We see again in verses nine through 10 related to the woman with the coin, and when she has found it. She calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Which by the way, that phrase we know the angels rejoice, that, that's true, but the phrase here says there's joy before the angels of God. Who is standing before the angels of God? God. So the angels are seeing joy, who's rejoicing? The Lord. And then the angels take part of the party. And so when the lost is found, God has a party. It brings joy to his heart. He joyfully celebrates the found when the lost come to him. Now, how does the sheep in the parable get found? The shepherd finds them. How do we get found? The shepherd finds us. How, how does the coin get found? The, the woman found it. How do we get found? God finds us. But really, how are we technically found? Well, the key is in this passage, it says, what brings us joy is that a person who admits that they did something wrong. Is that what the text says? That there's joy found when a person admits they do something wrong. No. That there's joy found when a person makes promises not to do bad things again. Is that what it says? No. It says when someone does what? Repents. Repents. And some of you are like, oh, man, that's such a churchy word. Like, what does that even mean? Because like, sometimes you think about these, these people on the street corners like, repent, you know? It's like, okay, what is that really? Repentance is a beautiful word. We should never lose the appreciation, the depth, and the understanding of repentance. And so we're found when whatever we're trusting in, which is usually our or some false religious system or our money or people, whenever that thing fails... Which, by the way, if you're trusting in those things, they will fail. Just a matter of time. When that fails, and you realize and come to your senses that it doesn't work, you then open yourself to the Lord as He illuminates your need for Him, and you give your life to Christ. And when everything else fails, and you see your sinfulness, you see your need for Christ, you repent, which means you turn to the Lord instead of yourself, or whatever that is, and trust in Him, and believe in Christ. If you're having a hard time emotionally thinking about what that looks like, let me use an example from something that happened to me about four or five, six weeks ago. So I went to a movie, and um, we were at a movie, and during the movie, I needed to use the restroom, like in the middle of the movie. Don't you hate when that happens? So I'm waiting for the scene that I think I can miss. I'm like, what? It's just not okay. I need, to, I need to go to this. Okay. And so there's a scene and and by the way, it was it was end game, so I'm like, there's no gap. I'm like, when's this gonna happen? Okay. And so I need to use restroom. Finally I think, okay, I'll just I'll just miss whatever's next. So I run down the hall really fast and I turn into the restroom and it just hit me, I'm like, this is a weird men's room because there's no urinals. (laughs) Just just a couple rows of stalls. (laughs) I didn't turn into the men's room, I turned into the women's room. And so I'm standing there, and it's like, it hit me. It's like, whoa. So I instantly backed out of there. Woo! And there was no one there. I didn't see anybody. And uh, I went into the right restroom. It was just that moment. But, but that's a picture of repentance. Like, I, it is. I was in the wrong place. I needed to get back to the right place. Repentance is also when you become very aware. That same feeling I had in the women's restroom, and some of you have done it too, so I know seen you in our own restroom. What are you doing in here? I'm just joking. When you realize you're in the wrong place and that immediate reaction to back out of the wrong place and go to the right place, that's repentance. Repentance is not admitting you're in the wrong place. Repentance is not just agreeing that it's the wrong place. Is, repentance is when you get out of the wrong place and go to the right place. When someone does that, when someone repents, as this text says, God has a party, and God rejoices. So for those of you who know the Lord already, when you repented, when you placed your faith in Christ, it brought great joy to the Lord. The Lord celebrated over you. He celebrated over you when you came to Him. And if you're sitting here and you're lost today, like you don't know the Lord, the Lord is going to celebrate over you when you come to your senses. He's going to celebrate over you when you repent and admit your need for him and let him into your life. And at that moment, yes, you will admit that you're a sinner. Yes, you will believe that Jesus is the one who died for you and rose for you. And yes, you will commit your life to him. But that's all going to circle and orbit around your repentance in your life. When that happens, the Lord celebrates. Also, notice here, when the shepherd and when the woman found the lost items, they didn't celebrate alone. They invited others to celebrate with them. You know, you can tell a lot about what you are about. You can tell a lot about what you love by what you celebrate. And you can tell a lot about what you don't love by what you don't celebrate. So if you think about that, when it comes to someone coming to Christ, how do you celebrate that? Do you joyfully, authentically celebrate when people come to Christ? If, if someone were to walk through your life with you for about a month and their only uh, task was to watch what you celebrate and record it and at the end of that month record what they think you love most, what would they record? What would they say about you, about what you really, really love? And so you think about, okay, what, what do I love more? My, my, my team scoring or someone that doesn't know the Lord coming to Christ? Uh, what, what do I love more? The, the, the good news I got? or someone coming to Christ. Do, do I love that Amazon envelope that showed up? More than someone coming to Christ. Like, how we celebrate the found really says a lot about whether we love people being found. One of the ways I love that you do that, by the way, and I, I remember seeing this even when I um, interviewed here eight years ago, is when we have baptisms, and we see people that once we're lost, that are found, that they're going public with their faith in Christ, and they're being baptized. And I've seen it. We, we've invited guests, you've invited guests, where maybe this isn't their typical tradition of baptism, or maybe they don't have a church background. And so they're very intrigued. They're watching everything unfold. There's, there's worship music. This person's giving their story. They're hearing about Jesus. This person's testifying about their lostness and, and how Christ found them. And then all of a sudden, they go under the water, and they come out, and you guys are like, woo, yeah, and everyone's throwing a party. And that person's like, what is going on in here, right? We celebrate that. Why? Because we celebrate the lost being found. And all of you are probably hoping and praying for someone who's lost to be found. Don't we want that to put a good party in God's heart? And we're going to celebrate that with him. And so if God is supposed, or if God celebrates, joyfully celebrates the lost, so are we. Here's a verse I want to throw at you guys. It's found in Ephesians. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So if we're to imitate God, and God highly values the lost, he relentlessly pursues the lost, and he joyfully celebrates the found, then guess what you and I are to do? Highly value the lost. Relentlessly seek The lost. We were invited into his search party. And you do that by being a life house and loving your neighbors well. You do that by being an everyday missionary, wherever you live, work, and play, praying for people, hoping for people, talking with people about the Lord. Um, When we do that, we're being like Christ. And if that brings joy to the Lord, it's going to bring joy to us. You know, Lottie Moon, some of you know about her, she was a missionary in China for 39 years in the late 1800s just gave her life to relentlessly seeking lost people in China. She said, surely there can be no greater joy than that of saving souls. And that's so true. You know, when uh, we found our son <laughs> who was lost and, and we were restored back in him, him into our presence, it was such a joy. And that's what happens when one is restored back to the Lord. And so we, we, we fight for that. We pray for that. We, we thrive for that. So here's what this means for us today. Simply this, if you're lost, be found. Maybe today's the day that you're done running. You're you're the sheep that's found by the shepherd. You're the coin found by the woman. And, And God's bringing you to a place of repentance. And you've got to leave one state of mind and place to another. But if you're found, it means that you've got to help search for the lost. Like our goal in life, our ultimate goal, is to glorify Christ. One of the best ways to glorify Christ... Make sure we're being faithful to be part of his search party in praying for and reaching and searching for the lost. That's what God has called us to do. And so if you're lost, be found. If you're found, help search for the lost. Amen? Would you pray with me for a little bit? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the great reminders that we see in your word, Lord, that you value us, you want us, you love us. You don't need us, Lord. We don't, we don't really benefit you at all, it seems like. But Lord, you just love us. We can't figure that out, but thank you for your love. Thank you for the value you place on us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to place that value on others. We confess we haven't always done that well. Lord, help us to value other people, especially the lost. If the lost being found brings that much joy to you, then it should bring that much joy to us. Lord, thank you for inviting us into your search party to go look for... Lost people, we confess we don't always do that well. We confess that sometimes we get distracted by pursuits, pleasures, just things in this world. God, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you help us to help seek relentlessly seek the lost people. And Lord, help us continue to joyfully celebrate when they are found. Lord, we all carry people in our hearts that we long to see found. Lord, we're not going to give up, Father. Father, we're not going to give up praying. We're not going to give up hoping that the lost are going to be found one day. In fact, right now, would you just take a minute? Would you just lift up the name of that person you're praying for? We've been talking about who's your one. Who's that one person? that You're just targeting your prayers, your relationship, your hopes on that they come to faith right now. Would you just lift them up by name right now for a minute? Lord, we lift up the names of those people. You love them more than we do. You see their future. And our hope is that they're going to be found. Lord, I pray for those right now that are lost, watching online or here live. If that's you, today's the day you can be found. Would you just admit that you're a sinner that needs the Lord? Would you repent? Turn from yourself. Turn from whatever you're trusting in. Turn to Christ. And would you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? He rose from the grave. And would you commit your life to following Him? Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. In Jesus' name we all said, amen.